to The Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 15 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Thursday the 28th of April 2016. My guest today is author A.J. Waynes, also known as Alison Waynes. Alison has sold over 150,000 books worldwide. Last year, she topped the UK and Australian Kindle bestseller charts with her number one hit, Girl on a Train. In the interview, Alison reveals the background to a miniature publishing storm which occurred over the title to that book. A hugely successful thriller with an almost identical title was released a year after Alison's book had come out. What could have been the worst thing ever actually turned into a wonderful boost for Alison and it's illuminating to hear about. Alison's background in psychotherapy gives her an interesting take on the writing process and there are definite parallels between the way we handle or improve our own self-esteem and the way in which we work to overcome self-doubt in our creative work. Alison was kind enough to send me a copy of her non-fiction title, The Self-Esteem Workbook, which could be helpful for anybody struggling with self-doubt or low self-confidence. I'm offering it as a giveaway. If you send me an email with the subject header WIN or leave a comment on the show notes of this episode at worriedwriter.com, I will put your name in the hat. So, on to personal news. In the light of what we see has surpassed my expectations, staying in the Kindle Top 100 for over seven weeks. It currently has 99 five-star reviews and has gathered some amazing write-ups from book bloggers. I'm delighted and grateful, and because worrying is my natural state, I'm also freaking out about the next book and whether I can do it again. But I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has read the book, left a review, added it on Goodreads, or tweeted or talked about it. It's really difficult to get noticed in the crowded book market, and all of these things really do help. In publishing news, it was the London Book Fair this month, and I had considered going, but in the end was too much of a scaredy cat. Maybe next year. My lovely friend Keris Stainton went though, and she spotted my book displayed on the Amazon publishing stand and sent me some photos of it, so that was very, very exciting. Back to the worry though. I have finally admitted defeat on my current work in progress. I was just completely stuck on the ending, and I kept trying to finish it before I sent the draft, but then I realised I just couldn't, so I've sent it as it is to my lovely agent for her thoughts and guidance. I feel very lucky to have an editorially hands-on agent who is always happy to talk through ideas and give pointers on unfinished work. I remember when I first spoke to her and she just completely got my writing and what I was trying to do and that feeling of being understood and supported is, for me, invaluable. So while I wait to hear back, I've been working on an old project. It's a departure from my other work, uh, more of a sort of urban fantasy thing, I suppose. And rereading it reminded me of just how much fun I was having. And having been stuck for a while, it's like a breath of fresh air to go back to the fun project. So I'm just letting myself enjoy that for a few days. In other writing news, I just finished a course on improving productivity with Dean Wesley Smith. Now, Dean has been writing and publishing for over 40 years, and he really knows his stuff. 
I love learning and I'm eager to learn from people further down the road. As regular listeners will know, I often ask about staying creative and productive over the long term. Well, Dean certainly knows his stuff in this area and the course has been brilliant. There was a lot to digest and I think I will go back over the sessions regularly as a refresher. Oh, and I have another quick recommendation. I heard about something called Brain FM, that's brain.fm, via Mark Dawson's new podcast, which is called Self-Publishing Formula. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I know a lot of people like writing to white noise or weather sounds, and Brain FM provides AI-generated music to improve focus, relaxation, or sleep. Mark was very sceptical, but said that it had worked well for him. I was similarly sceptical. The website talks about the music being designed to affect your brain activity. But I gave it a go, and I have to say, it really seemed to help my concentration. I shall put the link in the show notes in case you want to give it a try. The last episode with Emma Newman was really well received, and I've had lots of personal messages. Thank you so much. We touched on anxiety disorder as well as writerly worries, and it seems to have chimed with a lot of you. If you missed the episode, you can find it on iTunes or your favourite podcasting app, or head to the podcast archive at worriedwriter.com. Here is a small selection of some of the lovely things that people said about that episode. For example, Liz Tipping, who is at Liz Tipping on Twitter, said, I really loved it because I have read lots of things about anxiety and writing, but this one offers such excellent solutions too. Thank you, Liz. And Jilly McAllister, who is at Billie Jean, said, The bit about anxiety in this is golden advice. Every writer and every anxious person should listen. Thank you, Jilly. Louisa Heaton said, Excellent advice. Excellent podcast. Thank you, that's at Louisa Heaton. And Stephanie M. Grossman, who's at Steph M. Grossman, said, I'm liking the Worried Writer podcast. It's the type of show I've been looking for. Practical tips with lots of reassurance. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening and to everyone who has tweeted, subscribed, rated and got in touch or spread the word about the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you have a question you would like answered on the show, email me at sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter. And now, on to the interview section of the show. Alison Waynes publishes under the name A.J. Waynes and has sold over 150,000 books worldwide. Last year, she topped the UK and Australian Kindle bestseller charts with her number one hit, Girl on a Train, and was also awarded the Kindle KDP Top 20 Most Read Author in the UK. Alison used to work as a psychotherapist before publishing her dark psychological crime fiction, and she is a hybrid author, straddling both traditional and self-publishing. Welcome to the show, Alison, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm delighted to be invited. Thank you. I was hoping that you could just break the ice with the audience for me um, by just telling us a wee bit about your latest psychological thriller, No Longer Safe. Um, Yes, well, the story is about uh, four so-called friends who meet for a reunion in a remote Scottish cottage um, in the Highlands, and things turn very sour. It's kind of meant to be a sort of a college reunion of students, but actually they never really got on at college. Uh-huh. It's not, they get snowed in and it's not long before the um, the toxic sort of nature of the, the combination comes to light. And there's a really big twist at the end. <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic. 
And um, as I mentioned in the intro, um, you're both traditionally and self-published, and I believe you have an agent as well. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. Could you tell us, well, really how that happened or, or what your journey was into publishing? Um, well, like a lot of people, it was a kind of roundabout way. It's never <laughs> really straightforward. Um, but I started writing at the very end of 2008. I'd never really written uh, fiction before. I had had some um, self-help books published. Uh-huh which I might refer to later on because I think they're actually some of it might be quite relevant to the worried writer aspect of your work. But I had, I had two books published and then I started writing at the end of 2008 and I sent the finished, well, it was supposed to be a short story actually and I just kept going and ended <laughs> up with a novel just one time to sort of suddenly find, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's mushroomed into something so much bigger than a short story and I'd never any, done any of it before. And then um, my brother-in-law read it and said, have you thought about tech, trying to get it somewhere, take it somewhere? So I did apply to um, a number of agents and some small publishers all at the same time. And within the same week, I had an offer from a small publisher and an offer from a really prestigious agent. Oh, wonderful. London. So I took, I opted for the agent and they said, turn the book deal down because, you know, they could do better. But in the end, they didn't do better. It all kind of came out at about the time of the crash. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't, the book just didn't go anywhere. And then my agent dropped me, which was the most incredible shock. I oh, just gosh. had a and it was just like, oh, oh, this can happen too. <laughs> you know, there's all promise and uh, you know the idea that some, something fantastic was going to be ha- happening and then it all came to nothing but by then I'd written two more books oh well done <laughs> so that was brilliant I then took those on and got another agent and that's when things started to happen but it did happen with um, traditional first but traditional abroad, it was really unusual. I don't know many other authors. In fact, I don't know any other authors who are published in foreign languages before they're published in their own country. And um, I had a preempt for um, The Evil Beneath in France. And then I had a two-book deal with Blanvalet Random House in Germany for uh, Evil Beneath and Girl on a Train. So they were sort of, they were going out abroad, but nothing happened in the UK. So my agent suggested we put it up through the White Glove Agent Assisted Programme. Oh, yes. Uh Onto Amazon. It was very new at the time. And it was that sort of, again, that was a sort of balance between self-published and assisted, assisted, you know, some sort of gatekeeping in terms of quality because it went through my agent. Mm I had the option of some special deals and promotions because of that program, the White Glove program. And not a great deal happened, to be honest, until the girl on the train took off. But that might be something you want to talk about a bit later on. Well, yes, um, since you brought it up, <laughs> I, did, I did want to ask you about that because um, it has a very, very similar title to, I think it was Paula... Paula Hawkins. Paula yeah. Hawkins. And I remember hearing about it's the girl on the train, isn't it? Yes, it's the girl uh-huh. on the train. So it's only very slightly different wording. Uh-huh. And my book came out at least a year before hers did. So I always mm-hmm. have to tell people that just in of case. Of course. <laughs> trying to jump on the bandwagon with it. 
But as soon as her book came out, my book started doing really well. And I was really, it was like, what's what's happening here? And and I'm, obviously I then twigged and realized that people were getting it mixed up. And people were then starting to get very angry in reviews. Oh, on, gosh. And saying, this isn't the bestseller. Um, it's the wrong book. And I had a lot, I had a patch of time when I was just being slated with one star reviews saying, oh, how awful. don't buy it, even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my fault. No, no, the, not at all. I found it, it bought the wrong book. But um, in your haste on Amazon, sometimes you press the wrong button, you see a title, think train, girl, that's the one, press mm. the button, bought it. Um, so my sales shot up without me having to really take any credit for that in a sense, you uh-huh. know, all the was coming for somebody else's book. But what was really nice was I gradually started getting uh, reviews saying, this isn't the, the Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, but actually it's quite good. And so I started getting some nice reviews. Oh, lovely. Stopped calling it the wrong book and started calling it the other book. So it started to be the other girl on the train. And then the Wall Street Journal got in touch with me and they ran a story on the front page of their online publication um, about the mix-up in the titles and the fact that my book had done very well as a result. And I went into the Times and Independent as well with a very similar story. So my visibility, my exposure as a writer shot up and um, that was a fantastic platform for me then to release further books, which were The uh, Dark Place to Hide and the, and the latest one, No Longer Safe, which I'm so delighted has sold 30,000 copies in the first month. So you know, I'm really pleased. That's fantastic. And that's very heartening as well, because um, obviously, I don't know if anybody listening knows this, but titles aren't copyrighted. So that's, you know, the publisher in question that brought out um, a book with a very, very similar title to yours was completely within their rights to do so. However, it, it's kind of an author's worst nightmare for a book in a similar genre as well. Yes, you know, So there is that, um, very much that capacity for confusion. Um, but it's so heartening to hear that, yes, that must have been awful and I really feel for you during the sticky patch it must have been a horrible feeling especially since as you say there was nothing you could have done about it it was completely out of your hands um but what's heartening is that you know you've came you've come through that and it actually had a massive upside so that's great i'm really pleased i think it's it's also because it was a female writer writing Uh about london um and a psychological thriller so they so many crossovers but her uh, Paula's book is fantastic and I've you know I've never said anything um uh-huh. you know to to make that sound like I, I'm really angry with it about the book it's, it's done me a, a lot of favors to mm-hmm, be honest mm-hmm. just in a very backdoor kind of way I just never expected uh-huh. and speaking um from experience as well it's very likely that the author had nothing to do with the title <laughs> it'll be yes yeah usually it's um it the author has very little say so in terms of being hybrid now, obviously you have these traditional deals um, in France and Germany, and you've released your latest, well, your other books um, yourself. Was yeah. it no longer safe also through the White Glove program, or is that now on your own now? Well, that's on my own. In fact, 
Um, the two last ones, Dark Place to Hide and No Longer Safe, um, I, I did all, everything for that. And that's one of the really nice things about being a hybrid is that I, I for some of the books, I have complete control over everything. And I really enjoy um, that that sort of embracing the whole process and seeing it go from right from the very beginning to, to actually being on the shelves at the end. And I love the the designer part, you know, the, the trying to work out the cover. I've got a fantastic designer in Texas, and she does brilliant covers. But I love the coming up with the the original ideas and and how you know what's going to go on the cover and what the tagline's going to be and what's what's the blurb going to be. And also, I get to choose my own titles. So, you know, every. <laughs> Everything out there is 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 done by me, um, apart from the team of fantastic people who are behind me, who do the mm. conferencing and the proofreading, the checking, the beta reading, and the fantastic bloggers. I've had such amazing support from bloggers this time round in terms of getting the book out there and um, brilliant reviews mm. uh, to, to get things on the on the you know really going. So that that's been fantastic. This is, I often think that it's a misnomer for people doing it um, properly, if you like, uh, to say self-publishing, because anybody doing it as a, you know, in a business-like way, as you say, uses professional services, um, uses a team in order to put out a professional product. And yeah, your covers are amazing. They are really, really good. Um, So congratulations. Um, Having just discussed the good things about being a hybrid, and I'm nodding along with you because they do sound fantastic. Would you ever consider a traditional deal? Or would you hesitate over a traditional deal now that you've had this amazing success on your own? Well, traditional deals abroad are fantastic. I'm hoping to get something um going abroad with with the new latest books um in the same way that i had something for for the first two i've got audio books now for all all of the books so that's great they will go out in an audio format um in terms of a uk publisher i think it would have to be the right deal i'm not you know i'm not saying that's it i'm not going to be you know i don't want to be published in the traditional way in the uk at all but i think it would have to be a good deal because the royalties are so remarkable on amazon that um to offset all of that it would have to it would have to be quite special i think and i i you know i'm under no illusion that that is is going to happen i have to assume it isn't and i just keep going mm-hmm. that um you know things will carry on the way they are because they they worked out brilliantly that sounds very sensible i think it's a good idea to um as you say you'd have to weigh up the advantages offered to offset the yes i don't think i would grab something um in the same way that i might have done well you know i nearly did right at the beginning but it was it was a very small publisher and i'm glad i didn't Uh oh that's really good and if i can um bring us up to the the present day um What's a sort of typical writing day for you or what is your writing process? Do you aim for a certain amount of words every day or do you write Monday to Friday? <laughs> um, I do write every day and I have to be peeled away from my computer desk because it's the first thing I do in the morning and it's probably, you know, I keep coming back to it and, and I'm I'm there much more than a normal kind of full-time scenario. And I think it's big because I love it so much and also because I'm there's such a variety in what I'm doing because I'm not just a writer I'm then 
involved in all the other aspects of the book production. So I'm a kind of project manager in a way. I, I have um, a very long list of um, how to get the next book out. I usually start about six months in advance and I have a, a comprehensive step-by-step step list of what has to happen when and with whom. And that is my, my program. And I have to follow that program to get a book out by the date that I've you know, said it will will be released so it's that's very tight and that's brilliant because I love deadlines I'm somebody who likes deadlines <laughs> odd people who like deadlines and um and so I create you know ostensibly I create it for myself but it's wonderful to to work to be constantly working towards something and every day is a mix every day is different it's it's um if I'm actually working on a novel in in the terms of the first draft or whatever, I try to aim for a thousand words, and that feels quite low to me. But if I set it at a thousand, it means that I can get it. You know, I can achieve it. <laughs> so that's sort of a, a tactical um, way of, of doing it. Um, and then there's all the social media, and I love hearing from readers, and I, I'm getting a lot more contact from readers now. I'm doing um, a Skype. A video call with a library group in a, a university in Ohio. Oh, lovely. Which is lovely. And those sorts of things are fantastic mm. to be involved in, but they do take time and preparation and so on. So every day is different, and it's, but it's a combination of all these different things. And so I, I love that. And um, it's, it's become my life. It's not a job, really. It doesn't feel anything like a job. I'm so lucky to be doing Oh, I feel exactly the same way. That's lovely. <laughs> I was going to ask you in terms of um, sort of scheduling, I suppose, or keeping a balance in terms of the business aspects, the author life aspects, as you said, the sort of social media and contact with readers, um, marketing and so on. And then there's that creative side where you obviously have to get the words done. And you mentioned writing first thing in the morning, which I know a lot of a lot of us do to try and get it Mm. before the rest of the day um, swallows up our time. Uh, do you have any other sort of tips for keeping on top of it all, if you like? Yes, what I'd say is um, making sure that people work to their strengths. I think some people are really good with an audience and therefore perhaps going out there and talking to book groups and going to festivals and so on, giving talks in libraries maybe. Maybe that's really somebody's strength and therefore they should they should really capitalize on that whereas I'm such an introvert I find all the public speaking really difficult so I like to you know I like to write to be heard so it's that's that's my way of getting my message out is through social media and and tends to be written articles features Q and A's and so on so I'd, I'd say to, to other people to to focus on their strengths and and I love the variety of feeding my sort of creative well, if you like, by reading excellent books in the psychological thriller genre. I love a lot of TV crime dramas. Happy Valley recently was absolutely amazing. I mean, just fantastic. So some good, really good TV films. Um, I tend to go on artist dates. I don't know if you've come across the Julia Cameron scenario of. Uh -huh. of making sure you go out to something that's an exhibition or uh, looking at photography or taking photographs or concerts or watching documentaries or something so that you're feeding that creativity all the time and not just coming 
to a blank screen every day. And also, I think, not leaving the work as a blank screen. Mm -hmm. I never leave um, at the end of a chapter or a ch at the end of a scene. I never leave my desk with it like that because I always want to put something that just triggers where I am for the next time I'm back at my desk. So I'll just put a couple of scribbled notes about what's going to happen next or something about the setting just so I can get straight into it. That's uh, a good tip. Mm. And also, I put. I think like a lot of writers, I put an X if I just can't find the <laughs> Come back to it later. And then I just track all my find X and then yeah. find them all later. I use two forward slashes and I'll oh. put notes like, you know, fill this later or check this or... Yes, it's so helpful, <laughs> isn't it? Just oh. to see a bit of research here or whatever it needs and then you can come back to it. So that I think that's really helpful. Mm. Just So do you um, go with the... Uh, get through a first draft method you know as fast as possible or do you outline or I I've tried various methods actually <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I find the perfect way I find I mean in terms of uh, self-doubt and worry and concern every time I start a new book I think what on earth did I do this time how do you do it how on earth do you write a novel and even though I've got quite comprehensive notes about what I did last time and I've got stages of the process in separate folders and so on on computer. I always come back to that awful terror. I can't do it. How, I can't do this. Um, so I think a lot of people share that. Definitely. Um, so I, I tend to try different ways of, of approaching a novel. I haven't found the perfect way, but I found that writing a synopsis first is not the perfect way for me. Uh, some people really want to know what you're going to write um, and they want the whole story first um, in a couple of pages and I find that it kills it for me. Mm -hmm. Once I've done that, I feel like, well, I know what's going to happen. I like to write as a reader and so that I don't know what's coming next and that's the excitement and the the uh, passion of it. Is It's pure escape, uh, escapism for me, just going into that story thinking I have no idea who is behind that door or who's coming in that window or what that noise is. You know, neither does the reader. And so it sort of captures the energy of the story, I think. Mm. It's exciting then, isn't it? Yes, I think it has to be. Mm. I'm someone who is very much, I've, all my, my career right from the beginning is about doing things that I felt passionate and excited about. And I find it very hard to do something that I'm not <laughs> excited about. Uh -huh. And I'm not sure we listen to that voice enough. And this is coming back to my psychotherapy. Yeah. Listening to yourself and, and understanding what you need to make you come alive. And this is the thing that I've found in the, out of the rest of the things that I've done in my life that makes me feel most alive. So I'm hanging on to it. <laughs> Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I also wanted to ask you about being a psychotherapist. Uh, does it feed into your writing at all? Has it um, been useful? Incredibly useful <laughs> on lots of different levels. Uh -huh. Firstly, there are a lot of overlaps, I think, between psychotherapy and writing. Um, that's regardless of whether you're writing psychological thrillers, because obviously there's <laughs> yet another layer there that, that overlaps. But I've always loved words, and I love etymology. I love the the origin of words, and 
I loved when I was a therapist working with images with people because psychotherapy and counseling, it's all about you're talking to someone. So it's all about finding words for feelings. And I think a lot of people find that very hard. Um, but if you can work with metaphors and similes and images, it just gives you that place to go to that is easier in a way for many people. So, for example, if I ask someone, you know, what's your relationship with your mother? And she just says, well, oh, my goodness, I, you know, it's so hard to describe. I might say, well, if you were to put that on paper, what would it look like? And I did that with somebody, and she did a tiny little stick figure, which was herself. And on the top, she drew a massive brick the size of the page. Oh, she said, that's me, and that's my mother. And, of course, that says a huge amount about what that relationship was and it gave us a way of working with her relationship we worked with the image how would that image need what would have to happen with that picture to make it feel better what would you have to do with the brick what would the little person have to do you know so we worked with that so there is a big overlap i mm. think um but also i've worked with a number of um, people in different settings and from different backgrounds, from being very well-off people in London that I worked with in private practice to um, ex-offenders from Broadmoor and Rampton hospitals um, who are you know, coming out of uh, their sentences and trying to integrate back into society, um, which has given me a huge insight into um, ordinary people doing very odd and weird things, uh, unusual abnormal psychology and the criminal psychology as well. So all of that I then can use, but I'm very careful, obviously. Of I course, yeah. Material. Uh, I, I've got to uh, make sure I change everything. So that, But, but the, the idea, I always like to have a psychological element within the characters, Mm -hmm. And in No Longer Safe, all of the four main characters have got psychological issues um, and it's how they deal with it. I love secrets and lies, deception and the motives behind why people do things. Um, I find that incredibly fascinating. But it also helps me as a writer. So I keep a writing journal. One of the books that I had published originally in 2002 was the self-esteem journal and it's writing a journal to build and develop self-esteem and so I use that a lot that sort of concept a lot when I feel that my writing's going off the rails or I'm just coming to my desk thinking I don't want to do this it doesn't happen very often but if it does happen or if I get stuck or uh, I start writing and it all dries up I I go to my journal my writing journal and I ask some key questions about what's what's happening here, um, what's going wrong, how do I feel about this, what would have to happen for, for my for my sort of sense of passion to feel renewed and to to get things moving again. So I use that very much. And also in terms of um, of your psychotherapy, I was also wondering, was it difficult? I mean, I could hear the passion in your voice when you were talking about about the subject. Was it a hard decision to, well, leave that and become a full-time author? That's a really good question. And actually, it wasn't. I think I'd been working for about 
15 years in quite full-on therapy and uh-huh. I was fairly burnt out and I was looking for something else. Mm-hmm. I was really looking for something else and I had no idea that it would be fiction because I'm not one of these people who always wanted to be a writer. I think when I look back, and perhaps a lot of people do this, they look back and they see the threads that then oh. you say, oh, of course. <laughs> That's, you know, it's all the way back then. And I I was reminded by a friend who said you, that I used to write um, little stories in exercise books when I was about nine or ten, and I used to read them out on the bus when we went to the swimming pool. <laughs> and it all came back. I used to write write little stories but then I failed my English GCSE literature English literature and it was a real shock and it was really embarrassing actually as well because I was never bottom of the class and so it did it did shake me and it took English off the curricula I was going to do English A level and it was suddenly well you you can't do that Uh and so I just kind of wiped it off my radar if you like in terms of what I what I could do. So uh-huh. well, you do that. You, you're no good with books. I used to love reading and read all the time. And my mum was great with books. She's and she was a teacher. She had lots of psychological thrillers and mysteries around the house. And she used to teach um, junior kids. And she would always end the day with a story that she just told them off the top of her head. She didn't. Ha- she wasn't reading story. Just made it up each. You know, each day was a new instalment. And I thought, ah, oh, it seems so interesting. That was also in my family, you know, the fact that the story writing was there. But I'd never tried it until I read Stephen King's book on writing. Mm-hmm. I love that book. <laughs> it's great because it makes, actually, it makes writing sound so easy in, in one way. It demystifies it, I think, oh. into just being a, about hard work. And I, I, when I started me as well, because I thought, oh, I can do hard work. Yes, yes. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's sort of part of your history too. Yes. Um, I think it, it, it is a very popular book, and I think it is worth a read for anyone who hasn't read it. It's, it's a lot of it is about his um, history and how he became a writer and, and his working life. But there's also a really good section on getting down to doing it and he just said um start with an incident and get the story down and those i think of all the advice i've ever been given the get the story down Mm. is the most important and it's the one that stays with me all the time get the story down and it was his idea that made me think about writing a short story and then, of course, I got to, to about 5,000 words and couldn't stop because I wanted to know what happened next. And that became the first, the very first book, An Agent. Oh, that's brilliant. And um, since this is called The Worried Writer, <laughs> I'm, I was wondering if I could um, ask you if you do have um, any struggles, really, with creative block or with writing. Yes, well, I certainly do have it. And <laughs> Um, it doesn't get better with the next book. Oh, that's a shame. I always seem to come to a new book thinking, what on earth do you do? How do you do this again? And it, it, It's a very, very disconcerting feeling to have. I also, as I mentioned earlier, I don't have a, a system set in stone. I like to try different things. But I think 
one of the things that's happened now that didn't happen at the beginning is 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 now the fear of how the next book will be received. Now that I've had some exposure and some level of success, people, you know, readers are waiting or sound like they're waiting for the next book. Uh-huh. And that's a, it's an extra level of pressure, that sort of high expectation that, well, this book's got to be at least as good as the last one, if not better. You know, and that, I just have to try to take that out and take it off my shoulder. You know, it can sit Uh on my shoulder or I can send it out of the room. And I try to send it out of the room and go back to Stephen King's advice about get the story down. And if there are problems, I go to my writing journal and I try to identify what's going on. And writing, I'm writing a a new book at the moment. I've nearly finished the first draft. But at the beginning of that book, I struggled for a long time to find fresh ideas that I felt were exciting because I'd, I felt like I'd covered quite a lot. I touched on a lot of different ideas in earlier books and there were a lot of books out there that were touching on a number of ideas. And I was thinking, I need to find something different, original. You've got to have some real bite to it. And I couldn't really settle on anything that, that gave me that sort of, wow, that's I love that, I'm going to go with that. So I sat down with my writing journal and I asked a question and the question was, who do I want to spend the next few months with in my book? (gasps) I found the person and then I found the story because I then wanted to be in her story. And I tend to write very visually, all this interest in imagery and so on. And I'm also slightly dyslexic. I don't know whether that has an impact, but I, I, I think a lot of dyslexics tend to see visually mm-hmm. and they see and hear things visually. So they don't sort of necessarily relate to the written part. They see, they immediately see a picture. So that's really useful for me as a writer because I literally go into my book as though I'm walking into a film. It's pure escapism. It's absolute, it really is. It's just like I walk into the scene and I'm there. So I just, I have to look around and find out who else is there with me and what, you know, what else is going on and how warm is it and what are the smells. And it's, it's, it then has a life from that process of starting off in a very visual, a very visual way. So I think it's, I suppose it's about finding a way that works for you and trusting it. Uh-huh. So I have faith in the story. Once, you know, once I get to the point where I think, actually, this is this is an, a nifty little idea. I think it might go somewhere. Then I'm fine, and I, and I I'm off then, and I can write a first draft. I think no longer safe took about eight weeks to write the first draft. It's faster, it's quick, quickly. But I have to feel that it's um, that I'm on track with it. And that's the sort of murky bit at the beginning that probably other writers have as well, that sense of getting so far and thinking, oh, dear, it's not really (laughs) going to work. (laughs) Pay a lot of attention to that. And and I just have a chat with myself, you know, Uh therapist hat. And I think that's quite a useful thing perhaps for other people to to think about, sort of talk about the book to yourself, either writing down or just you know in the air (laughs) (laughs) yes that's brilliant advice and um how do you find the rewriting or revision or editing process however you want to call it i love that because it's again it's a different process Uh and because i 
love words. I think that's the part where I can think, okay, what would be a better word here? Um, and how can I add much more atmosphere? I like to bring the weather in and the setting in. Mm. Snow in No Longer Safe. The snow was really lovely to write about because the snow comes in so many different forms and you've got hailstones and sleet and you've got the colour of snow and the way snow changes silence mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it's snowed and it changes all the sounds in, outside and, what it, you know, the, the ice and, and so on. And also snow, snow is great for a thriller because it covers things, but it also reveals things. It reveals footprints and tire tracks that you would never see had it uh-huh. not and um, and I'm not giving a spoiler here, but there is there are parts in the book where the snow plays a really big part when people think that the snow is helping them, and then there's a thaw on the way. So there's you know there's jeopardy. <laughs> Lovely. And um, in terms of just thinking about research, then, as you were just talking about the weather here in Scotland, <laughs> um, do you enjoy doing the research part? For um, Yes, I think that's, that's fascinating, actually. One of, the, one of the downsides about doing research online, though, is you've mm. got to be really careful you don't end up in an American site, because whilst though they are generally more prolific and they're very interesting they totally take you down the garden path because you then get police procedure or court procedure about that's completely wrong for the UK so that's I I would advise I'm sure a lot of people you know make sure they don't make that mistake anyway but it's something I have to be very careful about not to make that mistake but the research is fascinating because it's all about learning more about something that I'm interested in anyway, whether it's to do with forensics, psychology, um, something to do with um, abnormal disorders, brains, all kinds, you know, all of that um, neurology. Obviously, I only touch on those things, but I need, sometimes I just need something to give a factual basis. Mm. And uh, yes, that I do enjoy that too. <laughs> so um, what's, what's next for you? Um, well, apart from trying to move house, which is turned into an absolute nightmare, um, I'm trying to uh, finish a book, uh-huh. which is nearly finished, actually, in the terms of the first draft. And I haven't, I'm not going to say anything about that because it's all under wraps at the moment. But I have another book, which is the first of a trilogy that's coming out. I'm hoping it's going to come out um, late autumn. It does depend a bit on the, the house move, but that would be uh, the first of a trilogy starring <laughs> uh, Dr. Sam- Samantha Willoughby. And she's a clinical psychologist in a London hospital and it's about all the trials and uh, tribulations that she goes through as a, as a clinical psycho- uh, psychotherapist, psychologist. And um, the first one is called Inside the Whispers and it's about post-traumatic, she, she, her area is post-traumatic stress. And so she's getting patients coming to her reporting a trauma following a particular incident on the tube. And then she finds out that they weren't that, that they weren't actually there. And so there's a big mystery about what on earth is going on. So are these again psychological thriller types? Yes. Yeah, they're psychological thrillers, mysteries, suspense books. So there are three of those that mm-hmm. will uh, Samantha Willoughby as the lead character. 
did it come to you as thinking this is a series, this is a trilogy, or was it that you wanted a new a new challenge or a? Um, I had a feeling that, well, certainly looking at what people out there are doing, uh-huh. series seem to be really popular, and a lot of people start asking, you know, I want to know what happens to your key character next, and I thought a series would be a really nice way, and just to make it three. And that's not to say that it might, if it goes well, I might not add more on. But mm-hmm. at the moment, it's um, it also allows you to, as a as a writer, to develop characters between books and to have uh, um, some. Uh, there's a key relationship with between two sisters that that sort of link all the books, but they are also standalones. Mm. So that I think that's quite handy that, that it doesn't matter if you read them in the wrong order, you won't then suddenly realise you've spoiled the earlier ones, uh, but that they do have the continuity for those people who like a series. So it's sort of best of both, both worlds really. And just to finish up, oh, whereabouts can people find you online to find out more about you and your books? Well, AJ Waynes is my handle for most things. And I think I'm the only Alison Waynes on go- When I Google, I'm the only person with that name. So I, I'm really lucky that I have a very uh, undiscovered, you know, there are not very people out, with, out there with the same name. So if you look, my self-help books are under Alison Waynes. So that's why I used AJ Waynes for my fiction to make sure they were completely separate. And Twitter and uh, website, blog, Facebook, they're all under AJ Waynes. Wonderful. And having just said that that was just a wrap up, uh, may I just ask you, um, I will put links in the show notes, of course, and you mentioned one of your earlier self-help books as being particularly uh, interesting or of use to worried writers out there. Uh, Was there anything else that you wanted to recommend, whether it was another one of yours or any other resources that you found particularly useful? Yes, um, certainly The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron has been a very helpful book just to sort of um, foster that creative self. Um, A book by Natalie Goldberg, and I'll give you all the details, called Wild Mind, which is about freeing the writing spirit. And um, Life Choices, Life Changes. I think I've got that right. Life Choices, Life Changes, Dinah Gluberman or Glauberman, um, and that's about using image work to transform your life. So instead of um, trying to work with problems as they appear to us, turning them into images and working with the images instead, which I found so useful in my own psychotherapy with people. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you again for your time. Thank you for being on the show. It's been lovely to speak to you. It's been lovely, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me and well done with all the magnificent success with your own books. Oh, thank you. Be well. Thanks, Alison. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter Sarah R. Painter, or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.